Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. The topic today is economics, banking, and education. We're privileged to be speaking with Dr. Stephen Happel, Professor of Economics at Arizona State University. Steve, thanks so much for joining me today. Glad to be here. Just for some context, tell us a bit about yourself and your current work both at ASU and at the Pacific Coast Banking School. Well, I've been at ASU since 1975. Uh, my primary teaching responsibilities at ASU have been uh, principles of macroeconomics for undergraduates and managerial economics in the MBA program. I consider myself an applied microeconomist as much as anything, a demographer. My research focuses on demographic issues, and I also do a lot of work on ticket scalping. Uh, at Pacific Coast Banking School, I spend a significant amount of time talking about generational effects and the impacts of those effects on the banking industry. And also, being a Friedmanite economist, I like to talk a lot about the Federal Reserve. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about these days, too, isn't there? Yes, there certainly is. <laughs> Just for a little more of my background, tell a little bit more about these generational differences that you're talking about. Well, uh, I like to talk about five U.S. generations since 1910. The first group that I distinguish is the group born from 1910 to 1927, the Bob Hope generation, a relatively small generation, about 52 million people. Uh, then the next group that I identify are uh, a group I like to call the Sinatra Elvis James Dean generation, the crowd born from 1927 to 1945, very small generation, only about 47 million of those people. And then where I put a lot of my focus is on the baby boomers born 1946 to 1964, some 77 million baby boomers, of which I'm one. Uh, a generation that loves to spend money, uh, focus very much on ourselves. Uh, then comes the the next crowd, Gen X, born 1965 to 1982, about 58 million of those people, the first of the last key kids, uh, a generation that we baby boomers have kind of beat up and are a bit uh, upset with us because we've kind of blocked the promotion ranks for them. And then finally, in many ways, the most interesting of all the generations, the crowd born 1983 to 2000, the, the Gen Y crowd, the rainbow generation that uh, numbers about 76 million, about the same size as a baby boom, and the crowd that's now rolling into their early 20s and having a profound impact on American society. Well, it's interesting because we've got that generation, and we now have a Democratic president and a Democratic Congress. With this sort of convergence, what do you think this means to the banking industry over the next year or so? Well, uh, you know, I thought a lot about that, Tom. And you look at what the Democrats have done. So you go back to Carter, because here you had a Democratic president coming in with the Democratic Congress, and what did you get from them immediately? The Community Reinvestment Act in which banks were expected to, you know, help socially engineer. And so, you know, what have you seen the Democrats do with the banking industry? And it, you know, not only the Community Reinvestment Act, but to report people with transactions more than $10,000. So 
that banks are kind of the extension of the liberal philosophy that, you know, the government can make the world a better place through extensive involvement. And I just think about what this implies for, you know, Obama and the Democrats now. And I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on banks to do good good deeds, you know, and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. What short-term impact do you think we can expect to see in, in what's been a volatile market over the past couple of months? Well, I think a lot depends upon, uh, you know, what Obama finally decides on tax policy. It's interesting. Here's Nancy Pelosi, who I'm not a, a supporter of by any means, but in the Wall Street Journal today, she's talking about how she wants a permanent tax cut rather than these kind of rebates. Well, I'm certainly in favor of a permanent tax cut rather than rebates, but whether Obama goes along with that is another question entirely. Certainly, the statement that you know that he made uh, back in early 2000, 2001, whenever it was, that the Supreme Court has not done enough in terms of redistributing income is kind of an indication, of, I think, where they're headed. And certainly Charles Rangel is talking about this massive redistribution of wealth. So you just wonder what's going to happen in terms of kind of, Oh, I don't know what you want to call it, a more level playing field. I don't like that term, but, uh, you know, less disparity in, in terms of income distribution and helping out, uh, the, the bottom rung of society with more government, uh, engineering, social engineering. Sure. Now, as you know, Obama's meeting today with a group of economic advisors and is expected maybe even today to nominate his treasury secretary. How important is that selection? I think it's really very, very, very important. Because um, I think the Secretary tre- Secretary of the Treasury really kind of sets the tone in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, Bush one had uh, Nicholas Brady as his Secretary of the Treasury, a man that I thought was just absolutely lost in time and space. Uh, Clinton has Rubin, and I'm not wild about Robert Rubin in a lot of ways, but I thought he was a pretty good Secretary of the Treasury because he recognized the importance of low interest rates and stabilizing capital markets. Uh, and now you have Paulson, who I don't have a lot of faith in. And so I think it's real important who he selects. Uh, if it were Paul Volcker, I'd be moderately happy. Another name you hear is uh, you know, Thomas Geithner, the, the president of the New York Fed, I think that would probably be a pretty good appointment. If it's Warren Buffett, I'd just shudder. I just, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't think Warren Buffett's ever met a tax increase he doesn't like. And so uh, I think you want somebody that will stand up and argue for a strong dollar and uh, fiscal responsibility and not be traveling around the country, the world with Bono and doing things like that, yeah, you yeah. know. <laughs> so, you know, Snow did when he was Secretary of the Treasury. He went somebody that has credence in financial markets, and that's why I think Rubin was such a good uh, Secretary of the Treasury, all things considered. Now, Steve, one of the things that Paulson has recommended is a complete overhaul of the banking regulatory agencies. Do you think that whoever replaces him will take up this same torch, maybe go in a different direction, but with the same objective? Oh, I think that's coming. There's no doubt that's coming. I think there's just a lot of pressure. And what concerns me on this, Tom, is, you know, the talk that you heard from Paulson was the kind of the consolidation of power and putting, you know, 
regulation in the hands of one super agency. And I know how bankers feel when the OCC comes in and the FDIC and state bank regulators, and it just drives them crazy. But I'm a free market economist that likes diversity and, and not huge concentrations of power. So I worry. And, I mean, you know, when you really look at it, one of the major causes of the downturn was the the lack of, of regulatory responsibility at the Fed, letting people get mortgages that didn't show income statements and doing all these stupid things. And it was just a, a, a tremendous lack of oversight on the Federal Reserve at the time. And now you're going to give the Federal Reserve more power. I, I don't know. It bothers me. You've been critical of the Fed. I believe the quote you gave to me was it's had only one good period in the 1950s. Yes. What does the Fed need to do now to sort of step up and be counted? Well, the the Fed, since its very inception, the more I think about it, has been behind the eight ball because the Fed's main policy instrument, as you and I both know, is the federal funds rate, and, and that's a price. And I'm a free market economist that believes that nobody can determine what is the right price. Markets determine that price, and yet here you have probably the most important price in the economy, the single most important price in the economy, the federal funds rate. It sets the tone for the entire yield curve. Every time the federal funds rate changes, other interest rates change, which recalibrates the financial system. People shift from bonds to equities or whatever. And so if the Fed's going to continuously try to control the federal funds rate, I think you're going to continuously have financial crises. Uh, I would like the Fed to, to, to pursue some of the suggestions that Friedman and others have proposed where it, it either – stabilizes the growth of some monetary aggregate, uh, maybe the monetary base, or it, it inflation targets, or does something like that, so it doesn't have all this discretionary power, because, you know, <laughs> I'm not a wild supporter of Ben Bernanke. I think in many ways he's been a disastrous chairman of the Fed, and, and he's politicized the Fed even more so with his recent comments that, you know, he likes some of the the, the bailout proposals and so forth are coming forward. I don't think that's what a Fed chair should do. I think the Fed chair should be trying to create a sound dollar and low inflation, and that's where the emphasis should be at the Fed. We spoke a few minutes ago about new regulations. We all have a sense that more regulatory oversight is coming. What new types of regulations do you think banking institutions should expect from this particular president and the Congress coming in? Well, that's a real tough one. I don't know exactly what what's coming in that regard. Um, you know, probably cracking down on banks, the types of assets that banks can hold, uh, the types of social uh, responsibility that banks are engaged in. One thing that I, I would like to see, obviously, as all free market economists would, and as I know it's a kind of generalized statement, but more transparency. And so, you know, probably uh, greater pressure on banks to be more open about just what they're doing. And and uh, so, I, you know, I think a lot still, the devil is going to be in the details, and there's going to be a lot of wrangling over all of this, but... Uh, Certainly, the financial system overall is going to be restructured, and banks are going to be part of this. Something tells me there's going to be a lot of talk before we get to some of those details. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of talk because, you know, some of the proposals will come from left field, and 
and will be, you know, attacked significantly in, in pro-business publications like the Wall Street Journal and, and predicting doomsday if particular proposals are passed. Uh, but I certainly think you're going to see, you know, again, even though there's been kind of this backlash against the Community Re- Reinvestment Act and the subsequent uh, refinements in 1994, but still, you know, there's this kind of feeling that, boy, we need to help the poor and we need to do things and, and help people gain home ownership. And so you're going to have a lot, probably as much as anything, you know, what I think may be coming, Tom, is just maybe higher taxes on, on bank activities, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So I'm a bit worried, and certainly with Charlie Rango among the others leading the parade on this, it just you know sends shudders up and down my spine. I'll bring you back to the classroom for a second. I'm sure you've heard this from your students, but I'll ask you the same. Uh, bottom line: How is the banking industry different today as a result of this week's election? Well, I think bankers are just going to be. Uh, more careful and cautious in what they do. They're going to be, you know, uh, the the spotlight's going to be on the financial sector and and doing the right thing. And so, I think you're going to see uh, a bit more caution. I uh, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Probably a bad thing because I think the the net effect would be less risk taking. And I like risk taking. And you know, there's probably going to be more pressure to bring lawsuits when things go sideways and bad decisions are made and and uh, you know more emphasis on kind of the criminal side of the activity and so I think bankers are probably going to be a bit more cautious and many of them may be even running scared now you know now interesting time for your students to be in class because you know, I've said this before what we're watching right now is uh, is it's a college degree in the making just the history that we're seeing made so I'm curious, what are the types of banking careers that your students are thinking about watching history be made in front of them? Well, you know, um, my students at ASU, uh, the undergraduates, uh, some of them talk about banking, but that's not number one on their list at at this point in time. Uh, many of them want to go on to law school, you know, <laughs> which, which is interesting to me. Uh, you know, what I hear at the banking school, though, is that, and, and I've seen it certainly, uh, it, it stepped up after the 91 recession, but, you know, so many people got out of banking, just got frustrated by banking. It, when I first started teaching at Pacific Coast Banking School in 85, I used to argue that being a vice president of bank was analogous to being a tenured professor at a university. It was a nice lifestyle, but that radically changed. And I think, you know, bankers today feel tremendous pressure, long hours, mergers and acquisitions that mean that they're going to be booted out, you know. And, of course, what I do admire about bankers, but it, you know, uh, it puts tremendous pressure on. They're supposed to be a very, you know, a civic leader, be heavily involved in the local community. And so I just think, you know, a lot of people in the banking industry uh, that I've known have, have decided to get out. They're, they're greener pastures elsewhere. It's interesting, though, this uh, this generation you spoke about, the, you know, the Gen Y sort of converging, the consumers converging with the Gen Y people that want to go into banking. I think we've got some radical new types of services and delivery coming forward. Oh, I agree with you completely on that. And, 
you know, I think that uh, there are people, some of my students, that, that see this opportunity, the banking industry, to, to do a lot of good in the world under the right conditions, uh, new products, new technologies, and, uh, you know, all this stuff with the Internet and, and web-based kind of banking, uh, that appeals to this younger generation. Sure. Steve, we'll have to catch up in six or eight months and see what we, how we've progressed, if we've progressed. I'll tell you, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, Tom. Um, you know, uh, Obama selected Ran Emanuel as his chief of staff, a very strident individual. And when I heard this yesterday, my, my reaction was, oh, my goodness gracious. You know, why, why would somebody that's arguing bipartisanship choose somebody that's so obviously strident? But it's interesting, the Wall Street Journal had a, an editorial today that says they actually like the pick because they think that he will protect Obama from the more crazy Democrats. So <laughs> I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I'm hoping that that Obama turns out to be much more like Clinton than he does to be like Carter. And mm-hmm. so that, that, that'll be the issue in six months, I think, Tom. Steve, I appreciate your time and your insight today. All right. Nice talking with you. We've been talking with Stephen Happel, professor of economics at Arizona, Arizona State University. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.